When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the latest edition of ESPN FC. Craig Burley, Stevie Nicholl and myself, Kay Murray, are here in the studio. And we start the show with the news of the window closing for the chance to bid on taking over at Manchester United. And a substantial bid has been made by Qatari Sheikh Yassim bin Hamad Al Thani. Mark Ogden is going to join us now, as will Stuart Robson as well, to tell us a little more about this. Mark, tell us the latest news on the bid that's been made. Well, as you say, the, the so-called soft deadline for bids to be lodged was uh, 5 p.m. Eastern time in New York. So that's passed now. And, and the one bid that has been made public is is that by Sheikh Jassim. Now, it's it's backed by the Qatari International Investment Bank, it, sorry, Islamic Bank, and it's Obviously, it's a substantial offer. It's one that suggests it will take 100% control of Man United, reinvest in the stadium, the training ground, the community, the, the, all the teams that, that United have under their umbrella. But the question is, will it be the successful bid? Now, there, are, there will be other bids that we are not aware of. Jim Ratcliffe, the Britain's richest man, um, chairman of Ineos, he's also confirmed that he'd made a bid quite a few weeks ago. But are there other bids? We don't know. There was a suggestion of Saudi Arabia interest, American private equity fund interest. Now, what will happen is that if the Qatari bid is successful and it becomes the preferred bidder, then there'll be plenty of obstacles to clear, such as how will they satisfy the Premier League, that this isn't a state-backed operation like there was concerns about Saudi Arabia and Newcastle, they overcame those fears, and if they do get past that hurdle, they'll have to persuade UEFA that there isn't a connection between PSG, who are owned by the Qatari Sports Investment Fund, and this bid that, again, is linked to you know, Qatari's supreme wealth. So. What are the connections? Will it pass the tests? We don't know, but it, there's, there's still quite a long way to go before this gets this gets the clearance to actually take the club over. With this news coming out, Mark, how do people back in the UK and the fans feel about it? It's quite mixed, to be honest, Kay. I think, I think there's a lot of Man United fans who are, are just delighted by the, the prospect of the club being one of the richest in the world again, that the Glazers will be gone. But also, there's, a, there's quite a lot of opposition amongst United fans that the club could be taken over by you know, a, a state-backed a state back to, back to operation. So they've seen what's happened at Man City, a lot of success there. They've seen the Newcastle situation. But there is obviously question marks over a club as big as Man United being owned by a, a state. Now, this bid doesn't suggest it's owned by, or it's backed by Qatar, the state itself. But, it's you know, it's, it's Qatar's Islamic bank. It's, it's connected to the, the, ruling, the ruling regime. So there is a sense that Manchester United don't want to be owned by a state, they want fan ownership, but that isn't going to happen. Fan ownership, it, it's not feasible for a club that is as big and as expensive as Man United. There are issues as well about Qatar. We, we know this about human rights and, and the, the way that the country had lots of criticism around the World Cup. So that won't go away. We've already had groups condemning this as potential more sports washing. So if the Qatari bid is successful, it won't go through quietly. There'll be a lot of noise around it. And I'm, and I'm presuming, Augie, that the Glazers, presuming they could get this through, uh, don't give a stuff about it, just want to get the most money. 
that's what it all boils down to, isn't it? It's all about the money. I don't think the Glazers are looking for the, the, the new perspective buyers that would be the best for Man United. I'm sure it will be whatever is the best for the Glazers. But there is a bit of confusion as well as to the, the motivation of the Glazers. Now, I've been told that Joe Glazer would like to retain an interest in United, would like to attract an investor, a partner, but the other Glazer siblings want out. So I don't think Joe Glazer staying with a partner would be, be backed by the fans. I think the Glazer name has become toxic, so I don't think that would work. But there is this kind of split as to whether the Glazers sell lock, stock and barrel or they sell a portion of the club. They they sell a certain stake to, to allow one of them to, or two of them to remain you know, with a controlling stake. So... I'd imagine if the Qataris are bidding to buy the whole club, then other but other groups will as well make that same offer. So I don't think by the end of this process, the Glazers will be there. But until the process is, is followed through, we don't know. We don't know the size of the Qatari bid. You know, the, the Sheikh Jassim is reportedly worth £1.3 billion. Now, that isn't enough to buy Man United. He's the son of an ex-Prime Minister. Obviously, he's well-connected. He's, he's the chairman of the Qataris' biggest bank. So let's be honest, there'll be money there. The question mark is, is it a personal purchase or is it a purchase that's backed by the state? And if that is the case, then there will be connections to PSG which have to be dealt with. And the way that UEFA regulations stand right now, that isn't allowed. Although we've seen with Red Bull Leipzig and Red Bull Salzburg, there are loopholes and clubs are always going to find the loopholes. So that's what I mean by there's a lot of obstacles to clearing this. The Glazers have to find their, their money out of it. The, the new perspective owners have to clear all the regulations in place. It will take a long time from this point on. Tonight isn't the, isn't the, isn't the kind of the green lights for a, a sale to happen. It's just one step in the process of a longer process, which might not be done till the summer. When you look at Manchester United as well, Robbo, they're doing so well right now. We just saw they're still alive in all the competitions they're playing in. Will this offer any sort of distraction to the team on the pitch? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, a new ownership doesn't really mean too much to the players. If the new ownership was saying they were going to bring in a new management team, then players would be worried because they're doing so well at the moment. They trust the manager. They're playing some good football. They're getting better and better. But the players shouldn't be worried by this. I, you know, it's, it's, it's a top level. The players just get on and play. As long as it's all right on the training ground, as long as it's all right with the fans, they'll be happy. And uh, I think they'll carry on playing well for the next few weeks. How much do you care who owns a football club, Craig? Do you know, as a real as a player, one, I'd, I'd say it as a player. Then you're a player in the team. Yeah, because from, from from where I'm sitting now, I, I, I read things about sports washing and and and, and state-owned things, and I'll, I'll be quite frank with you, it's not my it's not my bag. I I really don't understand how the logistics of a lot of these things happen, and you know, it is super complex. Uh, but from a player's perspective, it's about getting paid, it's about playing well, it's about improving your team. I, I don't think from a player perspective there's any real interest in about who's buying it. It's just, is this going to improve mm. things for us? You know, when somebody signs you, you ask them questions about the club. You don't ask them who the owner is, do you? <laughs> I mean, as long as the cheque's getting put in the bank... As long as your team's doing well, as long as you like your, your manager, those are all the things you think about. You don't think about who the owner is. Listen, it's great. You know, my day at Liverpool, it was, uh, it was the Moors were the owners, and everybody knew them, and it was great, and, and it, was a, it was a great situation. But the fact is, it makes no difference to the players. The only time they'll be bothered is if the cheque doesn't come through when it's supposed to. If it is to go through then, Mark, one of these bids, how will the Glazers be remembered at Manchester United? 
Mm. Uh, I don't think they'll be remembered very fondly. I think right from day one, I mean, even before day one, the, 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 the fans worked to drive them out. They didn't like the way they bought the club. They bought the club and plunged it into over, you know, half a billion pounds worth of debt straight away. They borrowed against the club. So right from that point, they haven't invested their own money into the club. The, the club, you know, I've seen Man United over 20 years and I've seen how the team has declined, but I've also seen the stadium has declined and the infrastructure, and you know, to the point where the roof was leaking at Old Trafford. So the Glazers have taken money out year after year after year. They haven't put any money in. And you can see it now. I mean, obviously, the team is coming back. He's bouncing, but the stadium isn't. The stadium does need, you know, rebuilding, regenerating. So I think the fans will look back in the Glazer era as, a, as, a, as an era when they, the club fell behind their rivals and allowed these likes of Man City to grow. You know, I think, I think the Glazers had Sir Alex Ferguson for the first four, five, six years, and that, that kept them competitive. But once Sir Alex Ferguson left, they really went into a nosedive and... You know, they've probably been two lost decades under the Glazers, even though they won the Champions League in that point. I think from the point they saw Cristiano Ronaldo in 2009 to Real Madrid, that was that was the point when it went on a slippery slope. And I think they are still trying to get out of it now. But, you know, if, if they are sold to a Qatari ownership with that, the wealth they have, I think it's a scary prospect. I think it's I think it's bad for football that the biggest club, arguably the biggest club in the world, becomes the richest club in the world. And I think, I just think it's a bad sign for the likes of Liverpool, for the likes of Tottenham, Arsenal, who... You know, aren't owned by these wealthy funds, the likes of Bayern Munich, Barca, Real Madrid, that won't be able to compete. So I think this will signal a massive change in, in football in Europe, in England, because clubs can't allow, clubs that are used to success will not allow clubs like Man United to be owned by these funds and, and to allow it just to carry on because they, they will see a future where they win nothing. And it's a scary prospect. For more talk like this, make sure to keep up to date on our YouTube page. You can click subscribe while you are there. Thanks, Mark, for giving us the insight into the latest news at Manchester United. Passion, drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Did you know less than 10% of Americans own an e-bike? Here's why that should change. Studies show e-bike owners actually end up exercising more, plus getting outside more. If you're looking for a balanced lifestyle and everyday adventures, you need to check out Electric e-bikes. They are the number one selling e-bike brand in America. Their bikes are typically foldable, pre-assembled and have serious range up to 150 miles on some models. Check them out today at electricebikes.com and add some more adventure to your week. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. A look at the Premier League schedule ahead. Arsenal now second, heading into their game against Aston Villa, which is the early Saturday game in the Premier League. Mikel Arteta is not best pleased with how the schedule is playing out. They put the schedule the way they did it, which is a bit unusual, but um, it's what it is. And um, there are certain rules with Champions League. 
when it's playing on Wednesday night and then you cannot play. So I think that should apply to any competition. But I think following the same principle, I think you're talking uh, physiologically that it's very difficult to turn around um, on that period to get the best outcome and reduce the, the injury risk for players. But, uh, but that's it. Stuart Robson still with us. Has he got a point, Stevie? <laughs> Nonsense, sick listening to nonsense like that. Is, is there some reason that as soon as you get to the heady heights of the top of the Premier League, that you start moaning about kickoffs and fixtures and physiological recovery and nonsense? I mean, I said it not that long ago. You know what? You should be delighted that you're in all competitions, that you're at your. You're fighting for the Premier League title and you're, and you're still in Europe and you're doing all these good things. That's what you want. You want plenty of fixtures and you want to be shoved. And if you don't want that, go and manage somebody else. Go and manage Wolves or somebody like that who just play Saturday to Saturday. I mean, I'm just... It gets so annoying listening to the nonsense, complaining about having to kick off early. <coughs> I mean, seriously. Is that all you've got to worry about? Absolutely, it, it does my brains I, in. I mean, the, the, honestly, he's referenced the champ. He's had lots of plaudits this year, and rightly so. Uh, he referenced the Champions League, and that is a, a rule in the Champions League. But, but the midweek game against Man City, the rearranged fixture, was a Premier League fixture. Now, is it ideal? Would you rather play on Monday? Yeah, but I would rather him come out in the press conference. Bear in mind they're in a mini slump, right? I would rather him come out. And when whatever journalist mentioned the, because somebody's mentioned this to him, oh, you know, Saturday lunchtime, is that a problem? I would have wished he'd just gone, oh, didn't even think about it. The players are just ready to go back out and play. Bash it off. Don't bring it up. Don't give these players who'll read some headlines tomorrow or whenever it is and say, oh, the manager's been talking about we shouldn't be playing in the morning. And don't even, don't even give anybody that out. Just say, no, 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 we're ready to go. Saturday lunchtime it is, we're ready. Why do you have to give people the, an the almost ready-made a ready-made excuse? Oh, you know, and I don't expect them to, to lose it, Villa. I, I fully expect them to get back on, on the bike again. It's not going to be easy, but I, I think that they, sh they should be able to do it. But if they don't, this is going to pipe up again. And you're just giving people an excuse and a reason and it's not really, is it? Come on, let's be honest. Robbo, did you pay attention to these factors when you were a player, particularly the times of kickoff? Uh, certainly not, because in our in day, Stevie's day, not so much Craig's day, you, most of the games were played at three o'clock on a Saturday. And on bank holiday Mondays, and sometimes on a Saturday, you'd play at 12.30. On Boxing Day, you'd play 12.30. New Year's Day, we'd play 12.30. Usually against, it was Arsenal-Tottenham games. Uh, and I, I quite enjoyed them in the in the morning. You know, you, don't, you paid no attention to what when the game was. We used to play replays on a Monday, and then you had to play the play the, the same team again on a Thursday, and then you play on a Saturday because that's what you did at that time in the FA Cup. You play replay after replay. At the moment, uh, Arteta is showing all the signs of being under pressure. You know, yes, he was right about the Brentford goal, but he kept on and kept on about that. He's now going on about this. He's he's making excuse after excuse. If there's one person that could lose Arsenal the title, and he's done brilliantly up to this point, it could be him and his attitude and what he's saying in the press. Because as it happened with Arsene Wenger years ago, the other teams start to say, this manager doesn't like it. This manager's uh, not coping with the pressure. Arsenal don't like it up and let's make sure we cause them problems. He's got to get his head back on and be calm and be uh, positive about everything that's going on at the moment. I mean, it's not the fixture list. 
well, some might say it is. But it's not really the fixture list that is making Martin Odegaard lose a bit of form, Martinelli lose a bit of form. Maybe it's the fact he's playing them as much as he, as he is. And he might say, well, I have to. But it's not really that. It's the fact that, as, you know, Ivan Tony and, and Boomer gave them real problems in the Brentford game. Ellen Haaland gave them some physical problems in that Manchester City game. They made mental errors at the back, trying to play out. Tommy Asso, who I, I, I was surprised Tommy Asso played. I mean, he, he hasn't played really this season in the league. Ben White's been playing. Uh, so he brings him in. He makes an error and decision-making error. That, that's nothing to do with your players being tired. Those are, just, those are just basic mistakes within a game. And Man City were clinical. Heard you guys talk about it yesterday. 37% possession or something. It's unknown for Man City, really, these days in a game like this. And so, yeah, I just... I would, I would have preferred had he just batted that straight out the ballpark. Anything to do with the early kickoff and said, no, 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 no. The players know we're in a little dip, but Saturday we are ready for Villa. That sends out a better message. He, he has to be very careful because the reason Arsenal are where they are, the, the vast majority of it is down to him. And that's because every single word that comes out of his mouth, they've trusted and they've believed and they've followed him. Every single word that comes out of his mouth. So if he's coming out and saying things like, not enough rest, we could be tired, we don't, we don't have a big enough squad, they'll listen to all that. But will he use it as a motivating factor for them, like he has with other issues? No, you, no, no, no. So no. you're saying it gives the players yeah, an excuse? No, no. No, the motivating factor is you keep your trap shut and you don't mention it. And if you hear anybody else in the building talking about it, you get on them quick. You don't mention it whatsoever. It's not a, it's, there's, no, there's, it's, there's no possible way you can twist not having enough rest into a motivational factor. What he's got to do is remind them why they were top of the league. Why, why were we top of the league? We were top of the league because we did this, this, this and this. And you, all the other stuff becomes immaterial. Whether you're, the bus leaves an hour after it usually does or any sort of nonsense, that makes no difference. It's all the things that got you to where you are that count. And if you want to introduce all the other nonsense, then it will only be to your detriment. They've got a good run of games. I mean, Villa is, is not an easy game. Uh, Leicester have picked up, uh, for sure. Everton, new manager. Uh, Bournemouth should be OK. Anyway, I'm not going to go down them all, but... But it's uh, not the worst run of games. It's not the worst finding. run of games. And they've came through a period where it's been, it's been difficult and they've fallen off a little bit. But trust me, going back to this, I don't want to keep harping on about it. I'm sure within the coaches' room, with Mikel Arteta and all his coaches, I'm sure they were whinging and moaning about this. Clearly they have been. But trust me, I, I would be absolutely shocked if there's one player in that dressing room at Arsenal's training ground has even mentioned the kickoff time. Because I don't ever, like Robbo was saying, I don't ever remember any of my teammates at any club ever bring up whether we were playing on a Saturday or whether we were playing on a Sunday. And what time it was. I mean, you, you would know what day it was. Not even what time it was. You know, it just doesn't happen. When, when I went to Celtic, we were split Saturday and Sundays because of TV. Maybe one week we played Saturday, Rangers played Sunday, and then vice versa because of one, one of the big clubs was always on the telly. But until your manager or your told you what, what, what day the game was that week, he didn't even bat an eyelid about it. We, we, used to, we started playing on a Friday night. We loved it. Because we've got a Saturday and a Sunday at... 
positive thinking. Positive thinking. Talking of positive thinking, though, when you do look at that run of games, Robbo, on paper, this should be the perfect way for them to respond from this mini slump. Yeah, and Aston Villa's going to be a difficult one. That's going to be the important game. Because, remember, Unai Emery is, is the manager of, of Aston Villa. And when he was manager of Villarreal in the, uh, in, the, in the Europa League, he got the better of Arteta on two occasions. And he got, got it tactically right. So this is going to be a, a very big game for Arteta, as the, as the boys have just been saying there. He's got to be all, say all the positive things. He's got his team, got to get his team playing as they were before with the high intensity, brilliant with the ball, in and around the box, as clever as any team in the league have been. And the closing down, he's got to get that right again. And if they do that, and they are positive, Arsenal can win the game at Aston Villa, and then you can see them going and winning the next four or five and being back at the top again. So he's got to get everything right and be positive coming into this Aston Villa game. Do you know the one thing I would be saying if I was, amongst all the tactical stuff, and don't forget Villa got uh, battered at City recently, I think it was. Uh, but if I was looking at Arsenal, uh, depends on party situation as well. I mean, he was a big miss. But I go back to the two games they've had at the Emirates with the two big strikers, Tony and Haaland. If I was looking at that, I'd be making sure I had Ollie Watkins, if he's fit and available, uh, given Saliba and Gabriel a tough time. Because those two have had a pretty... Mm. I'm not going to say an easy ride of it, as Arsenal have dominated games, but they've had a silky season with the ball and all, but now they're starting to get roughed up a little bit. Now they're starting to see some physicality against them. And if Villa can do that, that would be one of the big questions they could ask of this, of this Arsenal back four, which has been pretty good for most of the season. Last two or three games, not so much. Another big game coming up is Newcastle against Liverpool. Newcastle being on quite the unbeaten run. A lot of draws in that time, though. We asked you guys your predictions for this one. And even though the odds makers have Newcastle as slight favourites, all of you have gone for a draw. Stevie, if you're Jurgen Klopp, have you got one eye on that Real Madrid game here? No. No? No, I don't think so. Listen, when you've got the sort of trouble that he's got, the only thing I would suggest in your brain is to try and fix your problems. Not be thinking about who you're playing next after this game. He, he's, he doesn't have, Under normal... Uh, let's say two seasons ago, I would suggest maybe... And you would probably see that in the team that he, that he would pick. But the position he finds himself in now, he can't afford to just go and say, well, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice Newcastle because we want to beat Real Madrid. He's not in that position. Liverpool right now are searching for something. So it's the best team he's got available he's going to play Abs in this absolutely. game? Absolutely. Last year he might have Absolutely. Done it, when they were going for all four. Do you know what I mean? And they, and they looked like the best team probably in Europe. And... Just got unstuck by Real Madrid, who did it to, to two or three other teams on the way there. But yeah, I mean, he won't say it, but deep down he's probably thinking the chances of us, the chances of even if I rest players for the Real Madrid game, going through over two games against Real Madrid, even though they haven't been brilliant lately, is still slim. They're less than brilliant, is not as bad as Liverpool's at the moment. Can I back my statement up? Yeah, and then I've got a question. What is Liverpool's best team? Can somebody tell me? Well, you're the one right who would now, be able to tell Right us now, this. no idea. OK, what's their best chance then, making the top four or Champions League? Neither. Yeah, neither. neither. They might win a cup competition. They ain't getting anyone. They're not getting top four. Right. If Robert. they were to win the Champions League this year, I mean, come on. It's just not possible playing and defending the way they have defended. It's just, it's just not feasible. We don't think they're going to beat Newcastle. 
So, and New Newcastle, by the way, are in, compared to how they've been playing, they're, they've hit a little bump. And we're, we don't, not, not, neither one of the three of us think Liverpool are going to beat Newcastle. So what chance do you think we think against Real Madrid? So they're going to finish the season empty-handed. Robbo, you are one of our La Liga commentators, so you've watched a lot of Real Madrid this season. Mm -hmm. How do you see these two sides matching up? Uh, well, Real Madrid were better in midweek against Elche, but again, if you look at Elche, they've only had one win all season, and they played some good football. Uh, Benzema was back to his best, one and two touch football, winning around the box. They looked clever. Uh, you know, they scored uh, some good goals. Camavinga uh, was playing in midfield and he was quite dynamic in there. Uh, Modric and Kroos have been rested at the moment to maybe come back for this Liverpool game. Uh, if Real Madrid play anywhere near their best and they're clever around the box as they're showing at the moment and they can get their, their, their star players, whether it's Vinicius Jr. out on the left-hand side who's been who's suspended for the Elche game, Rodrigo when he's coming to the side, Asensio who's playing on the right-hand side and Benzema playing those one and two-touch football against Liverpool's defence at the moment they can cause them all sorts of problems. But there's still, if you play Modric and Kroos, there's still that lack of energy in Real Madrid's midfield. And that's where maybe Liverpool can get, the, get an advantage. We thought that in the Champions League final that was going to happen, but it never quite did. Uh, I think Real Madrid over the two legs will, will win the game, win the tie. We've, se we've seen a lot more of 18-year-old Stefan Bajcetic mm -hmm. for Liverpool in midfield. Is he going to sort some of their problems out that they've got now? Sort the problems out? No. But can he, can, he, can he do some good things? Yes. He's an 18-year-old who's just got a handful of games under his belt. And to suggest or think that he's going to be the difference against Real Madrid, I think is a little off the mark. You know, if he can, if he can play in this game and do well and be tidy and show all the things that he's been shown, then, then I'll take that. I certainly don't expect this kid to be the difference maker in this game. I mean, he's a terrific young player and he's, he's shown some super confidence since he's come in. I mean, in the middle of the park, in the engine room, prepared to take the ball, prepared to get forward, good passer of it. But he's in the team, you, said, you mentioned the problems, he's in the team because of the problems, not to fix the problems, he's in there because of them. Now, it's not the only area of the team that struggled. But it's been a big area of the team. I mean, if you'd have said last year, oh, you know, Fabinho would be getting left out and all that, so you'd have been saying, no, no chance. Because, you know, up with, uh, with Rodri at the time um, and Casemiro was one of the best three or four holding midfielders in Europe. Now he can't even get in the team. Yeah. So, and that's given the youngster an opportunity to come in. But you can't carry the weight of the expectations and all the other poor performers around you because, you know, most of those guys... Henderson hasn't played well when fit. Thiago's not played well. Fabinho's not played well. Uh, the usual players have been injured. So it, it's been really difficult in that midfield. And let's go back to Stevie's point. Name their best midfield. You, you just can't. At the bottom end of the table, meanwhile, we've got Everton facing Leeds this weekend. When you take a look at the bottom of the table and you take a look at this clash, is this just a game where we're taking... A look at the matter of who's going to be relegated. Is that what we're going to be seeing in this game? Which team's more likely to be relegated, Craig? It's got a smell of it, hasn't it? Everton and Leeds. 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 Leeds have not got a manager yet, have they? No. no. That's, a, that's one of the big differences. And I know people say, well, you know, interim coaches in there and blah, blah, blah. But Everton have been the biggest shambles that you would, it would imagine. At least, at least they've gone and got themselves a proven 
manager with a track record at organising and you know getting the best out of what he's got and what he's got available. Leeds have not made that decision yet, and they do not want to, to leave it too late. But but yeah, this is this is a, a this is a, a a contest between contrasting styles, pragmatism from Everton, and a little bit more of an open game from Leeds United. And quite frankly, having watched the two of them, I have no idea what way it's going to go. What do you think about it, Robbo? Well, the one thing you just mentioned it there, Sean Dyche has got a game plan. You know, they, Everton players will know exactly. <laughs> Uh, what he wants from them. There'll be a game plan. They'll get crosses into the box. They'll keep switching the play. They'll try and create two V1s on the outside and get more crosses into the box. They'll be good at set plays and they'll be hard to beat in midfield because they've got a very dynamic midfield now. He's playing the best players in that central area to be disruptive. So I think Everton with Sean Dyche in charge, I don't think in the long term it's going to make Everton a top-class club, but what it will do is make them better than they are at the moment and I think they will get out of relegation and they'll beat Leeds at the weekend. Uh, are you rooting for Everton to stay off? Yes, absolutely. How many times, though? Well, I guess I can only speak for myself. I'm actually quite looking forward to this game. I think this will be a good game. Are you feeling all right? Because you were looking forward to Sunderland Fulham well, the week. Ever, in the FA I mean, Cup. Under Sean Dyke. He was saying nice things about Manchester United yesterday, <laughs> nice things about Arsenal. Get the thermometer out. Well, we know how Leeds are going to play, right? So they're going to get after it. And under Sean Dyke, it's, it hasn't been a Burnley-type game that they've played. Yes, they've defended and they've got men behind the ball, but they've actually tried to get forward whenever they could. So I think this... I can't believe I'm going to tell you a relegation battle. I'm actually quite looking forward to it. And it definitely... It's got the smell of whoever loses could get relegated. But as I said, I think this will be a, an interesting game he, to watch. He wants to get a big front man back in, you know, and I don't know if it's yeah. Calvert-Lewin is fit or not, but he wants to get a big front man back in. Yeah, because as Robbo said, he, 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 against Arsenal, first came out for, for Deitch, they pressed in the midfield, they harried Arsenal, they put them off the game, the pitch was bobbly, they got it out to Dwight McNeil on one side. Uh, he started the game on the right, and then they got him back on the left and just said, get, get the ball, start whipping it in the box with your left foot. And that's what they'll look to do. Leeds will try and play out on a bobbly pitch and Everton, as Stuart was saying, will look to be physical in the middle of the park and get balls in the box. It depends on personnel available. They played the young lad at Liverpool. Uh, he did, Ellis. Yeah, he yeah. struggled a little bit. It was too big an occasion for him. Mm. They need to get Calvert-Lewin back in there or somebody of his help because they're going to look to put a lot of crosses in the box. That's what Deitch's sides do. Something else that Stevie was really excited about when we talked about it yesterday was the potential move of Neymar to Chelsea. Oh, after it had been said that and Chelsea had met to discuss this transfer. Robbo, do you think it would be a good move if Neymar were to go to Chelsea? <sighs> Any move for Neymar, for the club he's going to, in my view, would not be a good move. You know, I, I had the misfortune of having to commentate on him in midweek, the PSG uh, buying game. And whenever I watch him, he just frustrates me so much. Whatever he's doing, whether it's on the ball, the way he reacts with teammates, the way he falls over, the way he dives around. I, I just don't get Neymar, unfortunately. So I, I would prefer that he stayed at PSG than come to Chelsea, where you'd have to see him every week. Well, Craig, 17 goals and 15 assists, as we're showing here in 28 games this season. i tell you what, and I was watching yesterday when you were talking about it, uh, and I love the, op the options you got at one point. It was Neymar, Lukaku or... Um, Havertz. Uh, Havertz, yeah. yeah. But no, no, listen, nobody's doubting his talent. He's, but see, go and ask PSG fans recently what he's played like. He's been terrible. Absolutely terrible. Not only that, he's been accused of been partying and having parties a couple of nights before 
huge Champions League, Champions League games and possibly others. It's all the baggage that he brings. And I couldn't believe when I read that uh, supposedly Todd Bowley was having discussions with the hierarchy at PSG about a potential for something to happen. Because if, if that did happen, that would be confirmation that Chelsea's strategy is in fact supermarket sweep. In with the trolley, pick up anything you can get and back to Stamford Bridge. It's just bonkers. I mean, Graham Potter, when, when Graham Potter's got enough problems on his own, enough problems. When he must have read that and he went, thank <laughs> God, jeez, where would I do what? That's 40 players. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't make sense, does it? But it can't be. It's a long term strategy, Kay. Is it, listen, let, let's get out of here. As a strategy, and it's a bit like Ronaldo when it was been mooted pre Christmas, pre World Cup that Chelsea might be one of the clubs because they need a striker. So let's go and get anybody. As a strategy, Ronaldo, Neymar, the players of this can elk are just, it just doesn't add up. Make sure to join the guys tomorrow on ESPN FC when they will be looking back on Saturday's Premier League games. Don't forget you can always catch us seven days a week here on ESPN FC. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash FC. Just go to Indeed.com slash FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on the podcast. Indeed.com slash FC, terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And... Boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Just taking a look at the reaction to that 2-2 draw between Barcelona and Manchester United in the Europa League. Unhappy campers coming from England. Well, it's a very different reaction in the Catalan press. Partidazo, they're saying, great game. Two very differing tones. One side seemingly more happy with the draw, if you're to believe the papers. Gemma Soler joining us now. Stuart Robson still with us. Gemma, is that the case, though? Because there's been a lot of talk about the team that Xavi selected and who he left out in this 11. What has been the response back home in Barcelona? Oh, like I, well, I think a sport uh, newspaper, they were a little bit uh, too optimistic. I, I was at the Camp Nou and I was in the stand, so I could uh, listen to the fan base uh, chatting during the game. And, and I don't think everyone agree. I mean, it was a party. I think it was an exciting game because with lots of chances, lots of uh, different twists, I think it was a thrilling game. But um, talking about Barcelona, I think that uh, they were such in a great form, six wins in a, in a row in the, like, 
Liga and, and with that much solid defense, and we didn't see that uh, yesterday at the at the Camp Nou. Um, so many change of Xavi. There was a lot of controversy with this in in the stands. I, I think it's like a message that Xavi is sending, like his. Uh, Main goal is La Liga uh, because he decided to to change, uh, put upside down the the, the defensive line. And, and those players that we saw, like probably the best version lately in La Liga, I'm talking about Frankie de Jong in, in the middle, uh, Kunde. They, they felt a little bit lost yesterday. So um, yeah, it was a partidazo, an exciting game, a thrilling game, and some good aspects, some minutes of great football from Barcelona. Maybe I would highlight Ansu Fati uh, as a, a, a coming out from the bench with a, at least a personality, something we, we haven't seen it, uh, that much. And, and of course, controversy with uh, Xavi saying that that, that possible hand of uh, Fred in, the, in the, his own area was as big as a cathedral. Uh, lots of things. I'm not sure it's a great result for Barcelona to defend in the second leg in Old Trafford because it was an expensive draw with uh, Gabi being uh, booked and Pedri injured. It's interesting, Robbo, because Xavi said that the rotations, well, they were rotations due to the busy schedule ahead. Mm. The next two games in La Liga are Cadiz and Almeria, 15th and 16th coming into the round. Almeria have just been battered today by Girona. Did he just get it wrong? Uh, I think he did to um, a certain degree. I think because, uh, you know, Kunde has been playing at right back, Arujo has been playing at centre back, and Arujo has been one of the best players in La Liga, best defenders, and Kunde's done a good job at right back. Why he wanted to swap them around the other way, there was talk that he thought that, uh, that, uh, that they were going to play Rashford on the left hand side, he played him at right back to come up against him, but then he could always have changed him round. Uh, Alonso, you know, Alonso's a strange player because Xavi's played him at centre half on several occasions this season. Now, when he was at Chelsea, we used to talk about being a left wing back. It was great going forward, but in 1v1 situations defensively, didn't read the situation, wasn't particularly quick. And he was found out by Rashford in the 1v1 where Rashford scores his goal. So there was lots of, uh, lots of strange decisions by Xavi in the way he picked his side. I think he, I can understand why he picked Kessie and I can understand why he played Frankie de Jong in that holding role and Pedri on the right-hand side. But, uh, you know, I didn't understand his back four at all. I think he did some... I think in the Super Cup in Saudi Arabia, he played Aruha at uh, right-back, which was a, a little bit of a shock at the time, but it worked out pretty well for him. I think, again, it was uh, thinking about the pace of uh, Real Madrid down, down the left-hand side. But then coming back from that and getting into such a, a, a rhythm as you back forth to make those changes again. On the other side of the coin, that was a damn good performance from Man United away from home. And also where he played, you know, talking about tactics, where... where uh, Ten Hag played Veghorst, you know, deeper in the midfield. Uh, not quite in the midfield, but dropping deeper to make a nuisance of himself and getting Rashford running in behind. So th these little things worked really well for Man United. And it, it wasn't just down to Barcelona switching the defence. I've got to say it was down to some in Man United's really good play, particularly, but not only, Rashford getting in behind. Yeah, it's interesting, Gemma. What were you about to say, Gemma, when I put that to Robbo, if whether Xavi got his team wrong? Uh, no, that I think he's he's picking La Liga as as a main goal because as you were mentioning, it's Cadiz and um, uh, Almeria, so it's two teams that you should win. You can you can uh, give some rest to the key players, uh, and he's eight points clear Real Madrid. So it's, it's uh, for me it's a clear uh, case that uh, he's picking his main goal is is La Liga, and he's uh, trying to give some rest to the to, to, to the players, in, uh, inventing, um, and and I think that's the, the statement of Xavi in this game. 
Robert, why do you think it is that Barcelona are so dominant in La Liga this season and it's not as so dominant in Europe? Uh, I think teams in La Liga show them at times too much respect. There's been games where, where Barcelona have dominated possession, had easy possession, can get into the top third without any sort of pressure, and then they can play their clever football. They're one and two touch passing. Lewandowski's a great finisher when the ball comes in the box. But Manchester United showed them no respect in terms of um, you know, allowing them to play. So they pressed quite high up the field, and Craig's absolutely right. Vegas played in midfield, but also Fred played further forward, and at times they had five players pressing the ball. And it calls Barcelona one or two problems. They couldn't play with the freedom. They couldn't get it out to their wide players quite so easily. They got it out to the, the fullback Alba on several occasions. But overall, I think teams in La Liga pay them so much respect. They're allowed to play. In Europe, that hasn't been the case. Teams have come out and pressed them and made it more difficult and got balls in behind them because I still look at Barcelona and would say that they aren't a great defensive side, despite their record in La Liga. As a manager, when it comes to things like this, Stevie, can you understand that, why dominant more in one competition than another and having to adjust like he has? Yeah, you can understand that. But, but some of the decisions don't make any sense whatsoever. You know, Araujo and Koundé playing the normal back four. One's right back and one's the centre-back. So why are you changing them? And then, I don't think it's a shock that Manchester United try and whip balls in behind for, for Marcus Rashford. I mean, that's not a surprise to anybody, is it? So why are you playing Alonso at centre-back? It, it just makes no sense whatsoever. So, yes, I understand if you want to go for the, for the championship and Europe's second in line. But when you're picking a team, you've got to make smart decisions. And he didn't make any. None. None I mean, whatsoever. And if I was picking a team to, to concentrate on uh, La Liga, I think I'd probably not play my two best players. And his two best players played. One got injured, Pedri, and the other one, Lewandowski. Because if he loses those two for a long period, particularly Lewandowski, who's going to get the goals? So, you know, it's all very well picking a team to save legs. Well, then, maybe save the legs of the guy that's in his mid-30s and your playmaker in the middle of the park who's now done a hamstring. So, yeah, it didn't make... But they're not out. That's the other side of it. It was 2-2. They're not out. It's, a, it's an uphill task. Obviously, there's, there's Pedri and Gabby missing. Uh, but they'll still be a good side at, uh, at Old Trafford when they pitch up. It's not like a fall. These two are out and Man United got two goals there. It's all over. Nah, nah. Far from it. Far from it. Let's focus on Manchester United and their perspective as well, Robbo. Let's just focus on Marcus Rashford and how he's been able to turn around his story like he has. Well... There was midway through last season, he came on a game and the crowd were almost booing him at times because he didn't look as though he was putting any effort. He'd lost his confidence completely. Something's happened to him this season where he's regained that confidence. He's now scoring goals. He looks as though he can hold the play up. He can make runs in behind. He can go past people. He's picking out passes. He's making the right runs in the box. And he looks a totally different player, one of the best attacking players in Europe at the moment. Whereas, as I say, a year ago, he was all over the place and you look, it looked as though his Manchester United career was over. But through Ten Hag, maybe, through Rashford finding his form again and finding his confidence again, he looks a top-class player. And, you know, whether he plays on the left wing, whether he plays through the middle, whether he plays on the right or just in behind a main striker, he looks dangerous at the moment. He's making all the right decisions. We sat here in the summer... I think it was just before the transfer window closed. And there was talk at the time of PSG fancying 
taken Marcus Rashford away from his from his slump at United, and I was I, honestly I I was like, what what this is madness. What are we seeing at the moment, or even in the last eighteen months prior to that, that you would make a club like PSG go and sign Marcus Rashford? But you look at him now, the transformation Good. from a player who you were going, who's going to take him now? I mean, out of all the big clubs, I mean. And it has to be, well, you know, a lot of it is down to the player, but it has to be down to the coaching staff and the manager. You know, just giving them the confidence, helping them tactically, telling them where he wants them, playing them where he's comfortable. All, all these things. And he has taken it on board. Because Rob was right. Old Trafford in particular was the last place in Manchester he wanted to be six months, 12 months ago. Because it was a burden for him. The pressure was getting to him. You could see it in the young man's eyes. But now, puffing the chest out, his finishing has been unbelievable, yeah. Stevie, isn't it? Well, Ten Hag set the team up for him, quite frankly. And I think I said it yesterday. Every Manchester United player in the middle of the park now, when they get the ball and if they're able to have a look, or even sometimes they don't even look, they're clipping it in behind. Because they know he's going. He knows it's coming. And they know that they're looking for it. And everybody's just doing it without thinking. And he's just thriving on it. Gemma, since that we've got you, yesterday we talked about the latest scandal off the pitch for Barcelona. We went in depth as to what happened there with Gab Marcotti. But what's the reaction been? What's the latest update from Spain on this? Well, there are like uh, new updates almost uh, daily with new documents being leaked to, to the press. To, uh, to, tomorrow it's going to be more documents by, by El Mundo of more payments. Um, uh, well, the, the reaction right now is uh, a lot of, uh, I mean, the sport in general feels outraged because uh, uh, what were Barcelona trying to do to, to reap uh, referees and and the money it, it goes from 1.4 million at the beginning now it's might be seven millions uh, euros. It, it's it's madness. It's crazy numbers. And uh, what uh, President Laporta expressed just after that uh, news uh, came out, saying that uh, they do this at this point to to try to uh, unstabilize us that we are in a great uh, sport moment. This is too big to to keep it like this. Um, it, it's not possible to get another statement from Barcelona. They they just announced that they open uh, an internal investigation with an external firm so it's not going to be Barcelona's compliance department because uh, I, they, they missed during uh, almost 20 years to, to, to see that these payments had uh, no sense or at least they need to explain uh, what were these kind of video reports about some players or uh, assessment on, on how the referees will act in, in different situations. This is too big to, to not to, to explain it, but uh, what Barcelona are telling us is that uh, this external investigation, uh, they want it to be more efficient and then they are going to talk. But it's, uh, it smells uh, absolutely bad. It's an awful story. And not only for Barcelona, for sport, for the referees, that they, they feel somehow uh, accused of of uh, being uh, unfaithful, and especially for this uh, vice president of the Spanish uh, Federation, Jose Maria Enriquez Negreira, that, that he, he made so much money doing, we don't know exactly what. I think if we, you look at the, at the numbers, 
I don't think you can tell that the referees really went with uh, Barcelona. They, they they probably always go with the big teams because Real Madrid and, and Barcelona, I think we can agree. Uh, but so it, it needs to be an investigation and especially explanations uh, from Barcelona, not only to, to the rest of the teams, but especially to their members because the members pay for this club and, and a lot of money has been spent in something really dark. Uh, meanwhile, in Madrid, Real Madrid midfielder Toni Kroos has come out in support of the European Super League. He said the idea of the Super League has changed and deserves to be heard. You will see that UEFA is by no means a great Samaritan for football fans. Why is it okay for UEFA to introduce a Nations League that no one needs? Suddenly, no one asks them about it. We've already talked about a loss of passion for football. I believe that the Super League has the opportunity to reverse that situation. Many people always say, who wants to see Real Madrid against Manchester City every week? But have you gotten tired of watching Federer against Nadal over and over again? I don't. That's my opinion. The Super League, the idea of it didn't go well in England, the idea of that with the fans, Gemma. What's the reaction been in Spain to the Super League? Uh, well, it's quite uh, polarised uh, and it's controversial because I think Almost anyone uh, except Florentino Perez uh, and John Laporta liked it at the beginning because that thing was presented really in a strange way in, in a show, a night show, uh, kind of yellowish like El, El Chiringuito by, by his uh, promoter Florentino Perez and it didn't have much sense. It was not clear. It was a closed competition. Um, there was no sportsmanship uh, uh, there and, and no, it was unpopular. Now it's starting to, to change and I think probably Florentino Perez uh, convinced uh, one of his uh, players, uh, Tony Cruz. It's true that probably we talk about Nations League, that future FIFA World Cup uh, clubs uh, with um, with 32 teams. Uh, maybe it's the players are right that that they need to sit and talk and, and revisit all the sports, uh, the football uh, calendar, and how it works, and some competitions that maybe are unnecessary and need to be a, a different formula. So I think it is that what uh, Tony Cruz is, is saying that that uh, that they might think uh, about a different kind of competition. But if you think another Federer every day, we, we had we. We have fun watching sometimes underdogs beat uh, top teams. So uh, um, I, I understand that players uh, need to uh, rethink about this uh, actual modern uh, football. And, and I can understand what uh, Tony Cruz is saying. But here in Spain, there's a lot of different opinions uh, talking about uh, Superliga. It's always <laughs> controversial because really we really don't understand yet what it's going to be this uh, new competition. I, don't, I think Kevin De Bruyne hasn't... <clears throat> said as such, but he, Kevin De Bruyne in the past has talked about a lack of interest in, in talking to the players or players' unions about, come on, there's... there's, there's Anyth all, anything. There's, yeah, anything. <laughs> there's already a lot of games and you're just adding to games sometimes. At some point it has to stop. I'm no apologist for UEFA, I couldn't give a stuff. However, the Nations League, to be fair, was brought in to overhaul the international friendly calendar which was heading, uh, no, it wasn't heading, was in its, in its own grave, right? Nobody was interested in the friendlies. So the Nations League was introduced in that calendar spot. But there are other games in terms of, you know, increasing, you know, increasing World Cups, increasing Champions League and changing formats. There are other things that are, I think, a, a bugbear of a lot of players. Uh, but yeah, I think particularly from De Bruyne's perspective, maybe not so much from Tony Cruz, it's about... It's about listening to the senior players. 
the guys with all the experience that play in all the comps and say, you know, what's the best way forward? Because just adding games all the time isn't isn't going to help, is it? Well, there'll be plenty of games to watch this weekend from La Liga on ESPN+. Plus. Thanks so much for being with us, Gemma Soler. And we'll see what side Xavi puts out against Cadiz when Barcelona takes them on on Sunday. Tired of ads interrupting your favourite sports podcasts? Good news! Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Pardon the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Thanks so much for being with us today. Stick around, though. These guys will be answering your questions on the latest edition of Extra Time. Stuart Robson will be with us as well. See you there. Welcome into the latest edition of Extra Time. We've got Craig Stevie and Robbo here to answer your questions. Thanks so much for sending them in. First question. Given that Craig Burley has admitted on the show that Arsenal players might be tired due to lack of rotation, is Pep's rotations early in the season not a masterstroke, given how long a season is? Well, <clears throat> a masterstroke is having a squad that you can you can rotate. I don't think I quite said it's they're tired. I'm saying it, I think what I said was the small squad was something that made them what they are with the continuity, i.e., team rotation was limited, but it might be, might be one of the things that's a detriment to them to the second half of the season. So one thing that's helped them might be detrimental to them. Now, he could have changed his squad. I mean, he had players that are not of the city uh, calibre of City. You know, I think he had Onene at the time, who's injured. Now he's got Georgino who can come in. You know, he's got Ben White at right back. He's got two left backs in Tierney and Zinchenko, although there's been one or two injuries there. Uh, so he, 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 could, he could have changed it just not as much as City, but it's not a masterstroke. City, what, what's a masterstroke about being a lot poorer than you've been in previous seasons? Because that's what City have been, and but they've got Ellen Haaland's goals now. You know, they've not been as anywhere near as silky, uh, and they've been chasing Arsenal, so I don't see where it's a masterstroke, do you? No. All right, we'll move on. Robbo, what do Arsenal need to regain their form? I thought they played well against City, but I know several Arsenal fans who are convinced their squad is slumping poorly and have already blown their title shot. Is the truth somewhere in the middle? Uh, I would say so, because right from the start of the season, right up till uh, a couple of weeks ago, Arsenal were the best team in the league. They played great football. They were defending well all over the pitch. They played a system that suited their players. They were lively in possession, they were creative in possession, they were scoring goals, uh, and they haven't played quite so well. They didn't play quite so well against Everton, they didn't play well at all in the second half against Everton. They didn't play quite so well against Brentford. They played well to a certain degree 
against Manchester City. My issue with, and I'll, I'll, I'll do it very quickly, in 2008, I think it was, Arsenal were top of the league by five points with a game in hand. Everybody thought Arsenal were going to win the title. The next Saturday, they were playing the team in second place in the FA Cup, and they picked a weaker team against Manchester United, lost 4-0. The next game was against Birmingham, where Eduardo got... Um, uh, uh, had a broken leg. William Gallas had a tantrum and uh, Arsenal only drew the game against 10 men. And from that moment on, there was a collapse because the manager kept on going to the press and saying that his team were fouled too much. Everybody was against them. They weren't protected enough. Martin Taylor should be banned for life for his tackle on Eduardo. Uh, they didn't win for seven games. If Arteta's not careful, Arsenal could do exactly the same type thing this time round. He's the man that's got to get them back on track again and get himself back on track. But, but it's like, Stevie, I heard Stevie mention it yesterday. You know, for all the good things Arsenal did early in this game, if, if Enket, there's nobody tired or even talking about tiredness. If Enketia scores the header in the first half, never, never mind the header in the second half. And also, I mentioned it the other day, was he's come into the side and he's been brilliant, right? But he himself has just tailed off in the last couple of games. You think about the ball Jorginho played through to him in the first half against City, and he has Martinelli, if he just takes a glance to his left and squares it, then Arsenal are one or two up, and all of a sudden the crowd are up, the players are flying. You're not, you're not feeling sort of sorry for yourself. You don't give City that chance to get back in the game. But as Stevie said, they didn't take their chances, and they allowed City to get back in the game. I think it was more about that than than about any fatigue issue, to be honest. And we spoke about we spoke about Arteta on, on the show earlier, mm. how he has to get the players mentally in the right place. Well, with all the staff they have, they've got a full time what would you call them? Psychologist. They've got full time psychologists at these clubs now. You know, part of the problem when you're sitting top of the league is that regardless of who you play it's the big shows in town. So every time you step on the field, everybody's after you. And so mentally, that's that's half the battle as well as the physical side. So right now, it's about the mental side. Because there's no question they're a good enough team to win the league. They just have to get, if they're not tired, which I agree with you, by the way, I don't think fatigue's going to kick in yet. But the mental side of the game, having to turn up every time and everybody's shooting for you and to be able to handle that that's what separates the best teams Was well, that takes me back to Jim Smith being ahead of his time <laughs> back in 2000 the Bald Eagle and he had a, he had, he had a psychologist at Derby right and I remember uh, on a Monday he used to, Jim used to make some of the boys go in and I'd be sat there thinking it's going to take more than a bloody psychologist to keep us up trust me they're not going to go in a bad player and come out a good player <laughs> you know I think you'll know who it is as well Psychologist. Yes, I bet I do. Did he offer? Don't mention his name. Okay, I'll, but can I say something he would say? What? Or maybe not. Yeah, Go on. Go. Stay in the green. Did he ever say that? I don't know. I never went All to right. see him. <laughs> Robbo, did you ever speak to a psychologist with a club I psychologist? I did. <laughs> uh, not a club psychologist. I saw, I saw a private psychologist. A couple of clubs did have a psychologist, which I didn't think worked for a team. But when I was out for uh, a year and a half with a, a pelvic injury, I had doubts that I'd ever play again. Uh, and as I tried to come back, I kept on breaking down. 
Uh, and uh, the physio, who, who Craig saw as well, uh, Alan Watson, said, that, you know, go and see, a, 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 I've got a psychologist that might just give you some ideas about how to relax more when you're not playing and, and, and maybe calm your body down as you're training and playing. And it worked perfectly for me for about a year. I, I worked with him for a year and he was excellent for me. Um, and I had a good year at Coventry. Uh, having come back from from a from a major injury that most people said I would never play again, so it worked for me on a one-to-one -one basis. It doesn't work on a team basis, I don't think. What do you think, Stevie? You think he needs to go and see one again, Robbo? Aye, I think trip. you're well overdue. A little trip down, yeah. Robbo. Well overdue. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we had a depends what I'm going to talk to him about. Depends what I'm going to talk to him about. What my problems are. <laughs> you saw that thing we. You saw the mean the, colleagues. You saw the the program with Ateta doing all his stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, you saw the, the psychologist was doing individual. The psychologist was working with every single player individually. So, uh, what I'm do that. The, the, difference, do that. the different thing is, Steve. The different thing is, Steve. I was doing it off my own back, so it wasn't going back to the manager or the coaching staff. When it's done at a club, the the, the psychologist would talk to individual players, and then he'd go back and tell the manager and the coaching staff what's been said. You know, and I don't think he's in the right place, the right frame of mind at the moment. I think he's got problems with this, and then the coach might act upon that. If you're getting your own one, it's a much better thing. I, I'm going. Uh, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you don't want him to know about that, there, really. No, and you've got to keep it. Keep it stoom. I'm, I'm imagining I know the answer to this. I, I think Robbo might have. I would imagine he could. Have you ever seen a reflexologist? A reflexologist? <laughs> no, we, no, no, he, no, no. You have not either, Robbo. No. Uh, what a is a reflexologist? Well, Refle we, had a, we had a, a 1995, we had a reflexologist at Chelsea. That Frank loved. Frank, yeah, well, Frank did. <laughs> a reflexologist, he can take, I don't know if he can heal, but he can tell if there's problems, are going to be problems, or heal them by your, the soles of your feet. Bare feet, and he presses points in your soles of your feet. Never heard of that? No. Yeah. Really, Steve? You've never it heard of reflexology? No. It would get rid of Stevie's gout, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So we used it to have other stuff for that. We, we used to have this guy, and we, ah. called, we called him Tootsie, obviously. And uh, nobody wanted to go and see him, because... Glenn believed in it, but we were like, oh God. So after training, he would have a rotor and you let, you'd be finishing training, and me and Kevin, Kevin Hitchcock and myself would be sneaking out because we're going to the golf. And I'm on for seeing the reflexologist after training, and I'm trying to sneak out. And I'm just going out the door, and this used to happen all the time. And then out he pops with the white uniform on and said, Nope, you're not going anywhere. You're going, oh Jesus. So I ended up going in the room. And he'd say to me, Have you any problems at the moment? And I say, I'm feeling my groin a little bit actually, just been a bit tight. So he'd go, you go in the bed and get the bare feet, and he start pressing the feet, and he'd go, "Yeah, I'm feeling you've got a bit of a problem with the groin." <laughs> once, I've just told you that. <laughs> I once went to somebody. I don't know what. I don't know. Was oh, he yeah, pressing I, your I feet? I need to ask Eleanor, but it was how they got me to go. And so what I did was I went in, and. The, I wasn't to say what was wrong with me. Oh well, I mean that's to be fair. We just need to look at you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, she, so she started. She started. She started like going around my legs and all of a sudden she went heart. You want to? You want to you sure finish your story? <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I had, a, I had the reason I went in the first place was because I had a problem with my ankle. And it wasn't black and blue or anything. I just I couldn't shake this thing off, and they couldn't figure out where it was. But she went straight to it. I'd never seen her before. 
She never asked me any questions. I got on, I got on, the, I got on the table, right? And she went straight to it. And I went, I think I went about four times till, it, till the thing went away. And I would just go in and she would, she would get the atmosphere going and all the, all the candles I'm, I'm and all the other stuff. I'm thinking this is not for medicinal purposes. Honestly, honestly it was fantastic. I was, and it, and it, and it was so relaxed. To be fair, Aye. I've got this vision in my head. I'm going to ask you, Eleanor. Hey. I've got this vision in my head. Listen, your message has phoned up before and went, hey, he's got a bit of, a bit of problem with his knee, right? I've got this vision and she's she's blagged it. I've got this thing in my head of you bowling in this door, right? And some woman sat there, lady sat there, and you've just gone, tell me what's wrong with me. Right, I'm going to find out. <laughs> find out. I'm going to find out. Next Where was this? Oh, no, it was this wasn't just a sports masseuse. No. No, I'm going to find out. You sure you want to get your tea leaves red? No. <laughs> where, where was this, America? Sheffield. Oh, oh well, Sheffield that says it all, of course. Uh, Craig. Yeah. Sheffield. Craig, nice to see you're wearing ties again. What happened? Well, not today. got a tie on. Oh. But Sergeant Bands is obviously talking about in general. Bigger shirts or the gym? Uh, no, no. I, I, dropped a, I dropped about 12 pounds or so before Christmas. Unfortunately, I picked, picked it back up off the floor <laughs> and, and I've stuck it back on right under my chin. Chins. Mm -hmm. Not as much, but yeah. No, no, just sometimes I like to go a bit casual. I don't know. For Robbo, do you think Victor Osiman is the type of striker Chelsea are missing right now? Well, having seen him tonight and seen him over the course of this season, he's a player that can do most things at the moment. He's, you talk about Rashford, we were talking in the show about Rashford running in behind. Osiman can do exactly that. He did it tonight brilliantly. He had to have two players marking him. One was actually marking him, the other played as a sweep. He still somehow got in behind them. He could hold up the play. He can score goals. He is one of the big reasons why Napoli are playing so well at the moment and such a good side because Ossiman is, is an outstanding athlete, decent technique, great pace and a good finisher. Yeah. Robbo, it looks like a foregone conclusion that they're going to win the Scudetto, but as for the Champions League, they're fifth favourites right now. Could you see them mm. doing that with the way they've been playing this season? Winning it no, all? I don't, no, I don't think they're quite good enough to win the Champions League. I think they're going to come up against a side that will cause them more problems. Uh, tonight's game against Sassuolo, it was quite open. Sassuolo had a few chances as well, but at the moment, uh, Spalletti's got the best out of the, the players he's got available. He's got the best out of the team. Uh, Napoli had better players under Ancelotti. They had better players under Maurizio Sarri, I would say. Uh, but he's just done a fantastic job, Spalletti. He's got uh, got them pressing high up the field or, or, or closing the ball down. Let's, let's not say about pressing. They're closing the ball down when they should be. They're winning the ball back in good positions. And they know exactly where their next pass is at the moment. They look a really well uh, drilled outfit, but not quite good enough to win the Champions League, I wouldn't say. I think even in this victory, it's a swallow you saw. As Robbo mentioned, that just defensively, I think the better teams in Europe might be able to pick pick that defence apart. I mean, they play some great stuff. Don't get me wrong; they've got good defenders. Uh, but even even in this game, uh, Sassuolo created, particularly in the first half, a lot of chances. Hit the post, goal offside. Uh, that was taking the game back to two-one at one point. It was a close call. Player coming back from an offside position, interfering with Oliveira, I think it was. So, but. The goal that Osman scored, that was Stephen Howard. I mean, it's a great goal. But the tightest of angles. It's, it's an unbelievable. I mean, even to take the strike from there, it was an unbelievable. But it, it, yeah, the keeper was on his holidays. Yeah. Put it that way. The other guy's just as good. I'm not. Come on, help me out. Mm. Stevie knows how to say his name perfectly. Philly. <laughs> 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 
I bet Robbo knows how to say it. Kalachalia. There you go. Something like that. Yeah. Do you know he stood? I said you can get away with Cavada. Do you know he stood out on the left-hand side the first ten minutes of the game, and I was like, he's not going to move. I thought he's just giving them a bit of width, and then he drifted in and they clipped that ball into him, and then he he went on that Maradona-esque run. Clipping it over one guy, knocking it away from the other, and I went, oh. I knew he was a good player anyway, but he just wasn't in the game, and then he was. Yeah, that's because he is Cavaradonna. That's one of his nicknames, yeah. All right, that will do it for tonight's edition of Extra like Time. That, uh, no, that's actually a fact. <laughs> I didn't oh, just no, make it up as clever. After you said it, you went, serious question. <laughs> Memory's not the best. Would this be the only time since? Yes. Napoli won it when yes. Maradona was there yes. all those years and years yes. ago, the documentary and all that. Yeah. So it would so be very, very, so very... In, in Naples, it's going, Party. To be, it's going to be mad. Party time in Naples ahead. Anyway, thanks so much for sending your questions in. We'll do it all again tomorrow. Brainstorm. What's something that works so well that it's basically magic? Microwave. Air conditioning. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash FC, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash FC now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash FC.